Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. It's that good old-fashioned Friday show that we drop on Sunday nights. Having some hard AF seltzers here. Going with the pina colada today, D'Anthony. It's a little light. I feel like I want to be on an island because it's getting chilly here. Supposed to get down to 14 degrees on Sunday nights. Oh, you're going to become an island boy? I would like to. I would love to become an island boy. What happened to those guys? Did they go to jail or something? No, they're still fucking each other. I haven't seen them around. They're still having sex with each other, which is nice. Jealous. I know. What do you, oh, here we go. <laughs> Since we're talking about World War III Jealous. today. Someone to fuck my brother. Jealous. I mean, this is obviously what World War III is going to look like. <laughs> There's no way or these are real people in the world. And the holidays are right next door. Get a custom personalized video from me. Oh, I, I don't, do they sell on Cameo videos? I don't believe that any of these tattoos are real. No. I don't think any of this is real. This Uh-oh. seems like a fucking AI Oh, he's experiment. cheating on his brother with Uh-oh. a fucking, some whore, man. Look at her, dude. That's an island girl, though, for real. That's New York. No, but cut back to that first pick, Bob. I don't need to see him by himself. Look at this fucking homewrecker. That's what I'm saying, dude. Look at her. Isn't that New York? Isn't he on... uh, Ah, tough to say. I think this is not New York. This seems to be Miami or something. the background with Christmas lights on them? Yeah. It could be Miami. Where where do they live? Are they in South Florida? You know, who knows with these guys? Well, he's a lifeguard, obviously. (laughs) Damn. Zoom in on that dump truck. Oh, yeah. That dump truck ass will get me every time. That's what my wife has. That'll get me every time. I understand it. So he's going to stop fucking his I just brother want, for yeah, this Yeah, I want to see what it is that, that you know lured him away from his you, own no, brother. I, I get it. Uh, can you zoom in on that ass, No, it's Bob? Instagram. It fucking sucks. Oh, fuck. Everything about that. Technology's not there yet where we can't press the zoom button into the Instagram in- Instagram ass? on browser is kind of janky. All right. Because for you personally, Bob, I know you spend a lot of time there when you're not around your wife. It would be nice for you as a person outside of the show to be able to zoom in on this. I can asses. zoom in on my phone, but I don't, I don't do a lot of browser Instagram. No, no, here. I'm yeah. with you. I, so I've tried to zoom in on Instagram on my phone, too. It's shitty because you have to hold it, stretch yeah. it. Like, yeah. you It's not easy. Expect me to jerk off holding a phone zoomed in yeah. on you know, whatever. Sometimes you got to screenshot the Instagram, zoom in on your own, and then yeah. jerk off. Yeah. Um, there's a beautiful ladder there behind Whoa. you. Who left that? Oh, who left that up there? Look at that. Are they married? Is this? Are they get married? This fucker get married the to fuck, a fuck, dude. To a woman. Oh, so he married this broad. Look at that fucking bruiser. A, a real left turn in this family. This looks like a a set. That's not a real church. That's a set that somebody made for a, a Guns and Roses video in 1989. That's a, that's the November Rain Church right there. Is what that is. Holy shit, dude. Well, good for him. You know, look, you make enough money, you can stop fucking your brother, I guess, on OnlyFans, and then meet the woman of your dreams. I'm sure they're going to be happy. That's going to be a healthy relationship, and nothing's going to happen to those guys. You know? And good for them, I say. Uh, Because let's face it. If you're not having sex with your brother right now and having fun, or putting your wiener inside a dump truck ass like that, 
Then you got to pay attention to what's going on in real life, and that sucks. Yeah, I'm not paying attention, and I don't want to fucking talk about it anymore. We're not going to. We're not talking about paying attention anymore. Joel, shut the fuck up. Yeah, Joel, and grab that ladder out of there. Piece Christ, of shit. that's in the shot, Joel. Yeah. We don't do that if here. If you're going to have that ladder up there, hang yourself from it. Look at you, Joel. I'm tired of this bullshit. No, we're having uh, company-wide TLC matches in the back. <laughs> is that what it is? Tables, Tables letters, letters, and, and chairs, chairs man. Okay. Fuck, All right, yeah. I like it. Uh, I like it. Joel, you're Chris Benoit for this. So, sorry. So you're gonna need Those are the rules. You're dude. gonna have to have some kids, I guess. <laughs> yeah, look him up online if you're wondering what happened to Chris Benoit. Over well, there. it was a sad story. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be drinking, bros, if it wasn't super fucking dark every goddamn day. Oh, uh, you know what? Speaking of dark, I saw um, there was some like goofy meme about um, uh, Black Spider Man, and the what the first comment on the meme was uh, they should call him Peter Darker. <laughs> That's pretty good, right? I like it. I took my not kid- even that offensive. I mean, you can't. How you can only get a little bit mad about that one. I think I took my kid to see the Black Spider Man movie uh, a couple months ago. I don't mind it with Spider Man or uh, Captain America. There's a couple of other characters that it was a different dude throughout history. Yeah, right. Like yeah. the one guy would die, then another guy would. Yeah, take and they're over in another multiverse. That one makes the fuck it that is. one makes sense to me. It's all right. I don't know. I I don't like that jiggly cartoon shit where it's uh shrek did it right the animation they never had to go better than that yeah and that was like what, 2002 different. or some shit yeah that How spider-man movie that? used the same animation as that, that ninja turtles movie and i don't get down on that 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 weird shaky nah, shit stupid. i felt like i was gonna throw up uh and i'm sure the people of uh yemen feel like they're gonna throw up today dude this hit us right when we got off air last night and it was announced uh, from the White House that the United States was going to join the U.K. in bombing the Houthis over in Yemen. Well, we've been bombing Yemen for fucking 12 years. Consecutively? Yeah. Okay. We never stop. So why is and this then, a big then we, story then like, now? I, well, it's the story is because of, I guess we've escalated a lot. Like we're on a, instead of just bombing random targets once every couple of months or so, um, we're hammering specific targets mm-hmm. in, a, in a coordinated campaign with other countries now. That's that's the difference, I suppose. But we we've been coordinated with other countries on this um, Houthi issue before. So Houthi, th- think think of it this way: if you're not familiar with who that is, um, who the fuck are they? Yeah. Nailed who it. are they? Houthi. Houthi. Because who, who the fuck? Yeah, Anyways. Who I'm with you on that, Joe. Uh, ha- Hamas and Hezbollah are cutouts for Iran. Mm-hmm. Hamas in Palestine, quote unquote, which is not a real place, and then um, Hezbollah in Lebanon, Lebanon and Syria. Right? They're just uh, Iran's cutout terrorist organizations. The Houthi are the same, but for Yemen. That's just for, that's a quick explanation of what, what's going on there. They started out with a couple of thousand people, maybe. 20 years ago, as of now, projected about 100,000 total members. All right. Maybe something like that. But it's like when you're in a poor ass country like that and there's something to do, it's like, yeah, we're, we're all Houthi now. Sure. As soon as you fucking kill 20,000 of them or so, then they just go back to their caves for a while and then come back out 10 years later. It's like everybody in a, in a white suburban neighborhood is all hopped up to play pickleball and they won't mm. shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. Or it's something to do. It, it's their version of, uh, of ice baths. Okay. Yeah. They just, they just join a terrorist group yeah. instead of going to CrossFit or whatever the fuck. Right. You know? They saw Rogan do it on Instagram and they're like, oh, well, yeah. I need an ice bath yeah. because it's better recovery. But we've been uh, bombing these cocksuckers forever. Mostly, I think it's the partnership before was with Saudi Arabia. Now it's expanded to 
Western countries. Okay, so... But uh, it, the reason is because the Houthis keep attacking. It's the same thing that went on in the Strait of Hormuz a couple of years ago. Uh, Iran seizing one of our naval vessels, all this other bullshit. It's, it's mostly about global shipping, right? Like uh, that, that's, that's, and from my perspective, that's the reason I think they're fucking doing this stuff. Just to try to protect our our as far uh, as our tankers and all that shit going in and out of there tankers and products all sorts of stuff mm. not not just oil no so the interesting part of this to me is watching this unfold last night uh, it goes from U S and U K announced they're going to fucking bomb Yemen to World War three starts trending immediately mm. Trump gets on uh, obviously because the Iowa uh, primaries are on Tuesday. Um, he gets on and immediately says, I we never had wars. You know, we never had wars underneath me. I don't want any fucking wars. If I get in there, I'm going to end these fucking wars day one, which I agree with. I, I don't want to waste any goddamn time or money in the Middle East. Let them fucking kill each other till the end of time. Because yeah. we're not stopping their sky Jesus beliefs anyway. So who gives a fuck, in my opinion? Uh, and then right after that, um, it starts trending that our F-22 stealth raptor was shot down by Yemen, and there was websites that were claiming that it was shot down. Yeah. I sent you a little circle on a map um, of what they posted. And what did I say? You said anyone can draw a circle on <laughs> That's right. Uh, by the way, Trump increased our bombing of Yemen over previous levels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, we were lighting Yemen up. Great. Great. Do it. Here's, so here's the other gripe I have with this. Do it in secret. I never fucking heard about it until you just said it right now, Bob. Do all this shit in secret. Obama was doing it in secret. I didn't fucking know anything about it, and I didn't care. Great. I, I trust you. Whatever you're going to fucking do and why, I don't need to know about it. Let's not publicize it on the goddamn news and on Twitter. Why make an announcement? Just do it. You yeah. don't have to tell anybody you're going to fucking do this shit. if they hit our ships, it would kind of affect uh, just, you know, supply chain. It would. But here, here's my honest feeling on this. Let them. If, 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 if it hits one ship, you can get the footage of that, put that on the news and everybody else. Then everybody's going to be on your side for this. All right, cool. This is why we're attacking this. This is why we're doing these airstrikes. Your fucking grand statements from the White House and everything else. Now we get it because we have footage of one of our ships getting blown up and Kellogg's spilling out in the ocean. If you told America, these fat fucks in America, they weren't, they weren't getting their lucky charms on a daily basis, we'd all be on your side. You, I'll fucking bomb the shit out of them. How much money? I'll give you fucking money, dude. Don't take away our fucking sugar and our ability to get diabetes in this country. Yeah, look, don't inconvenience me or I will annihilate your entire village. A hundred percent. And this is like... Basically, America's road rage. That's what's happening right now. You fucking made me miss my fucking left turn. I'm going to blow up your village. Yeah. You piece of shit. Now, I didn't believe it at first that an F-22 got shot down. I was, in, I was very incredulous about the whole thing. But it turns out, Bob, I think we actually got a couple of screen grabs of what happened. Yeah, yeah. We uh, have uh, some footage. Do you have some footage of it? Because I was looking up from the oh. footage. Oh, shit. Look at that. Look at that! Is he? Did he take off a sandal there? I, that might be a, that might be a chakla. Man. Chakla, chakla. Is that a Mohican? I don't know Where what is that this? is. Look at that. Well, that's though. one angle. There's another angle, uh, I believe, Bob. That we had. I can't remember. Uh, we have several angles. Oh, okay. we have several. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, that guy's throwing a thumb. Oh, wow. And see, he's actually that's good form for throwing a grenade. Actually, you you put your hand in a straight line right out in front of you, mm -hmm. and then you know arm in the baseball position he's actually th this one is more believable than the last even 
Well, that's a sandal. So let me ask you this, because uh, again, I was never military. Uh, you know, family wasn't all that other stuff. I didn't spend any time around any of these things. Um, could that sandal in this uh, Yemeni, is that what they call them over there? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this little Yemeni's hand here. Could a sandal take down uh, an F-22 stealth Raptor? Oh, yeah. Dude. Okay. I mean, they're, look. Very fragile. The, the F-22 <laughs> is just a total piece of shit. It can barely even get off the ground in the first place. So any, it's like, it's like driving a crotch rocket really fast, mm-hmm. and then you hit like a little tiny rock, but because you're going so fast, you know what I mean? Yeah. Once, all you got to do is lead it a little bit. And it'll, if it hits in the front side of that F-22, it's going down. Now, we have one more photo, I believe. Oh, we do? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think there was one more. Yes. This is all breaking uh, yeah. news right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, I, I got these from my buddy at the State Department. Oh, oh shit. Wow. See, now, this one that. probably wouldn't work because he's behind. He didn't lead him long enough. This is basically right. a throw uh, from, I don't know, Carson Wentz. Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like close, but not good enough. It's a, it's a Jalen Hurt. It's a mid-range. It's a Brock Purdy throw. It's a system quarterback throw. Well, right no, he, they, yeah, he fucked it up, though, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess this is more like a Dak Prescott out. <laughs> he just can't hit that guy that's open. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. In the yeah. play- and a Dak Prescott <clears throat> in the playoffs. Yeah. And a throw there. Um, boy, that's impressive. Uh, in real life, though, uh, I have seen some of the, the clips of these planes online. Uh, they look very, very fucking impressive, these f twenty two. Uh, stealth Raptors. Yeah. What, what can it actually let, do, by let, the way? Let's go. Well, we, I, I don't want to get into the function of the aircraft itself, but we'll get into what's called radar cross-section, which okay. is how visible this thing would be uh, even to advanced radar on the ground. Now, these aren't real pictures, obviously, but that is basically what Yemen looks like. So if you think they've got advanced radar on the ground, even even the radar that Iran has, um, like it, I'll, I'll go back through the history of some of our aircraft so you can get a sense of how impressive this thing is. Um, <clears throat> an F-15, the radar cross-section is about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, the old one. Right? Oh, okay, I got you. So like this table, basically, times two. Mm-hmm. That's about how big it is. Um, for the F-18, or for the F-16, it's about the size of a, a two-seater golf cart, right? So six feet by four feet, yeah. something like that. Um and then for the F-35, it's about the size of a fucking baseball. Now, for the true stealth uh, uh, planes, the F-117 Nighthawk and the F-22 Raptor, it's about the size of a ball bearing. It's about this big right here. All right. Right? So this is flying through the air, and your radar has to be pointed directly at it. It's the size of what a fat bumblebee, basically, flying through the air. So like a dime? Uh, more like a quarter. Okay. Yeah, so it's like... Good fucking luck even seeing the thing. Unless you're unless it's flying super low to the ground, but even then it's moving so quickly, they don't have any kind of weapon that could shoot this down at that level. They w- it would have to be a stinger or something that they could see it flying in the distance on radar and then fire at the radar signature or something like that. There's no fucking way these slapdick goobers and shithole stand are fucking shooting down an F twenty two raptor. I mean that's just the dumbest shit. And then there's like people posting uh fake uh, wreckage. Somebody, I think I just saw somebody posted the same wreckage uh, that we saw when what was that last one that allegedly went down? Um, it was something that the U.S. shot down. Oh yeah, Bob, I'm going to send you this I other pic of the, the map that they posted last night. Okay. You can pop that up on screen. Also, if this, if this is um, 
uh, you know, an F-22 they're claiming they're shot down. I'm not even sure that F-22s are deployed in this theater right now. They're not on carriers. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Right, so there'd need to be a, a physical air base, which we have, I guess, nearby. We have, we have plenty. Uh, we, we you have, know we got them over there. We, we have one in Saudi Arabia, which is where we've been flying these sorties from for the last 15 years or so. But, yeah, again, I just want to make this clear. The radar signature of that F-22 is the size of this bottle cap. And it's just moving through the air at four to 800 miles per hour. And you're telling me some Bedouin dum-dums, some goat herders are like, oh, fucking got him, man. Like, this is not David and Goliath, bitch. Sorry. <laughs> it is true that $100 fucking bombs take down fucking $20 million uh, vehicles or whatever the fuck yeah. all the time, right? Yeah. The terrorist organizations spend way less money than we do. This is not one of those cases where they fucking won. Now, here's the satellite image, allegedly, of where this happened. But all they did was this fucking... This was the picture I sent you last yeah, night. Yeah. <laughs> they just fucking drew a circle over a city on a map. I could do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fucking yeah. stupid. And they said, this is it. This is where we got them. This was their official government picture there what for I, Yemen. And what they, I, we got the F-22. What I, thought about, what I thought about doing this morning is drawing on a map like John Madden style, but then just like slow rolling it and then just making it a huge cock. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I was tired this morning, so well, I didn't feel like it. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Uh, so my overall question is, uh, you know, obviously everybody's asking if this is going to escalate into World War III and involve other countries from the Middle East. What do you think? Or is this just kind of a one-off to say, hey, stop fucking around, uh, or this is going to get worse? Um, well, you know, bombs cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the more we use, the more they get to sell to the government. So, you know. You think it's going to go on for a while? They're, they're, if, if you think for one second in your life that, <clears throat> excuse me, if you think that defense contractors and lobbyists aren't in rooms when conflicts like this start trying to coax decision makers into pushing the war forward, you're out of your fucking mind. I, could t- I, I know firsthand that that happens all the time. I, I 100% agree, because on a smaller scale, some of the shit you and I are doing with some of these NIL deals, mm-hmm. uh, it's the same thing. All these dirt bags are in the same fucking room, and you're like, man, you should not be here right now and making these fucking decisions. Um, I'm going to read you some of the headlines here uh, from these airstrikes last night. So one of them says, dramatic escalation. True or false? Dr- by whom? By the United States no. and England an, joining, an joining up. Yes. No, no. So we, the facts on the ground are, look, well, first of all, Biden should get congressional approval for this. A, 100% accurate. I believe that. So uh, Rashida Tlaib said that last night. Yeah, she, so did Ro Khanna, so yeah. did Thomas Massey. I was people on both, shocked. People on both sides. But I was shocked the Democrats went after Biden on that last night. And Ro, like, Ro Khanna is like one of the head Democrats, and he was lighting Biden up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and he's right about this. Like you, it's it's in the Constitution. I think Article One, actually, the Constitution, uh, Article One, Section Two. Maybe I'd have to look it up. But yeah, the um, and then the uh, super conservative Speaker of the House, uh, uh, Michael Jim John Johnson Johnson Jump Yeah, Chomp Jackie Jump Jump uh, Johnson Michael Johnson Mike Johnson, the fucking Speaker of the House, the super conservative former Freedom Party guy, was like, uh, uh, no. We don't need to do that. And I think DeSantis also said 
that Congress gave authority for this back in the 1800s. Mm. Um, so don't vote for him because uh, he's a not, status piece of shit. They're not going to. Fuck that guy. He's out of there on Wednesday. So Well, he just, I think that statement uh, in particular makes him no longer eligible as a vice presidential candidate, if he ever was, right, for Trump at least. Because that, that is diametrically opposed to what Trump's stat, uh, beliefs on Correct. war and stuff are. But yep. anyways. Um, <clears throat> Did Trump get congressional approval? For what? Soleimani? Bom- bombing Yemen. Uh, well, no. Or Soleimani. Well, Soleimani was an active war zone. We okay. technically have approval for Iraq. But for, but for Yemen. I mean, because he, he did it. Obama did it. Yeah, Bush obviously uh, did a million things. I, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. Yeah. Well, so, you, I mean, know, you know what's weird in those two instances? He can say whatever he wants, but it, he's... It, exactly. Sure, yeah, but, the, like, fucking optics matter, you know? They do, and, and, and the interesting thing about Trump and Obama is we didn't know. Like, I, shit, I had no idea. Yeah. Now, as far as whether or not the U.S. and U.K. are justified in this, here are the facts on the ground. We know that the Houthi rebels are a cutout for Iran. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Nobody, like even Iran doesn't dispute that. Whether or not they're telling them what to do or not, Iran might dispute. We know that that's not true. We know that Iran is directing this the same way that they directed that fucking attack in Palestine, right? Um, so, or in Israel, rather. So we, that's, that much is true. So this organization, the Houthis, have carried out attacks on British and American uh, 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 ships of a variety of them, actually, as a matter of fact. Uh, I think some have been fuel-carrying, some have been product-carrying. It doesn't matter, though. Like, if you, if you do this shit, we're going to come fucking get you, dude. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But you should get congressional approval for it, and it shouldn't be very hard to do that. Like, uh, it should, this, is a, this is a slam dunk to reestablish congressional authority over the executive branch's ability to conduct military operations. It would be a really easy way to do it. It would be good for the country for whomever is in, in office and president to be like, hey, here are all the facts. These dudes are fucking with us. We got to go do We can't just let them attack us and yep. not do something. That would be, it would be wildly unpopular for any member of Congress to vote no against that. I think it might be unanimous, actually, except for maybe a couple of, uh, maybe for, for some reason or another, somebody might not vote or they might be present or absent or something like that. But this seems like, a pretty easy win so why just go do it and in, invite the wrath of both parties in an election year if you're the president it doesn't make it it's a really stupid strategic mes- a mistake i think that's what i can't figure out either and uh and bob to the the trump and obama point like if you're doing what's best for the country in secret great why they had to announce it beforehand and let the world know this was coming four hours in advance. And I think Rob O'Neill said something about it on Twitter last night as well, where I was just like, I, I don't really understand what the, the goal is here. You bomb the shit out of them in secret. None of the rest of us know. You're not interrupting anything for your own election coming up in November and all that other stuff. And you're looking out for the best interest of America. Despite my hatred of Biden, I I root for the president of the United States. If he was doing a great job right now, the economy was rolling, we didn't have inflation and fucking a million immigrants coming in every goddamn hour here across the Texas border, fine. Whoever's in there is in there. Let the country roll and flourish. Uh, But this guy just keeps fucking it up. Um, The next headline here says outrage in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia has a great concern, do they? No, because they've been giving us the intelligence to run these sorties, and they've actually been running some of the sorties over the past 15 years or so. But publicly, they say, stop doing that. In private, they're like, sweet. Because they hate Iran more than we do. 
That's what I. They're figured. closer, and they're fucking. You know, may, we're we're all Abrahamic religion countries here, but they are the two that don't get along the most, mm-hmm. right? Like if you put a Christian, a Sunni, and a Shia in a room together, the chances are the Sunni and Shia would be fighting before the Christian was involved in either situation. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. So it's like they've got, and, and then proximity to Iran as well, they've got much bigger concerns with Iran than they do with us, but they have to say something publicly because they're Muslims, you know? Yeah. In the same way that they did with Israel-Palestine. They were like, hey, whatever. But then behind closed doors, uh, MBS is trying to establish communication with Israel and, and sign, a P- sign the Abraham Accords and shit. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's just all, that's all politics. Don't pay any attention to that bullshit. Uh, then it says India flexes their maritime muscles. What, Dude, what, you don't what, hear, what do they do? He, I, we never well, hear about them. India is a nuclear country. Right. Right. Nuclear power. Right. They've, I don't know what the capability of their Navy is specifically, but they, there's no like mob of purple hairs or libertarians or anybody over in India that's going to fucking talk shit if India wipes Yemen off the map because they're fucking with their trade route. Yep. You know what I mean? Like this, we, we have this very Western-centric viewpoint on how to conduct business as a country and shit like that, and India doesn't think that way. No. They don't give a fuck about people's, like, villages and shit like that. They don't give a fuck they, at all. There's not, like, the India Times, the J- Jakarta Times, isn't fucking putting out a story about, oh, the Indian government is attacking Houthi rebels, and it's not nice. They're, 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 no, that's not fucking, that's not a thing over there. I love, by the way, I love the delivery service over there for the Jakarta Times, because it comes on a magic carpet right to your doorstep. Jakarta's in Indonesia. What did I mean? Whatever, dude. Uh, anything in Calcutta, I'm good with, It's not dude. in Calcutta anymore, but They've got Calcutta. a little magic Indian on a, on a fucking not, carpet, a magic carpet who drops off the newspaper every morning. I love that about them. Um, but it says they're boosting their Arabian Sea Force here and, uh, and kind of flexing up because they're sick of this shit, too. Mm, Mumbai, that's the one I was thinking of. Because they got a billion people there. Stupid. You start fucking with well, their shipments? 1.5 Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So this year, this year or next year, India is going to overtake China as the largest country in the world. Really? Wise, yep. God damn. Yep. Stinks there. Maybe that's why it stinks so much there. Well, that's why it's hot. That's yeah. why they're going to the moon. They got it. Yeah, they're they're gonna. They're colonizing, dude. Yeah. Let's go. Well, colonizing, we have to decolonize the moon. I thought it was. I thought, didn't we own it? Uh, no, nobody can own. You can only celestial be objects. Guys, I, I bought. Guys, I bought an estate on the moon maybe 15 years ago. Did mm-hmm. you guys not do that? No. So I actually I own a piece of the moon. I own real estate you can't, on the moon. You can't own a piece of the moon. I actually dated a that girl. That paper is bullshit on my, is, on my fu- in my it office. Is. I dated a girl in 2018 <laughs> whose fa- uh, grandfather was a head of NASA, uh, head of NASA in like the 70s. Okay. And had a piece of moon, but you can't technically own it. You can only be custodian of it. That's bullshit. I own it, dude. What a jam. Janitor? Yeah. That's bullshit. I own that. If you, if you come to my section of the moon, um, I think it's called Caspian's Eye or something like that. If you come to my section of the moon, you come to Caspian's Eye, you're going to get a mouthful of Ross's dick. All right? You don't touch my moon area. All right? When I'm going to relocate my family to the moon, I'm going back to the real estate that I bought online for $48 off of a GoDaddy site. You sons of bitches. Fuck you, dude. I own that's my I own that part. I don't even know how big the moon is, but whatever I bought, I own it. So don't think about leaving beer yeah. cans on my section of the moon. Well, you know, back to the uh shit we're actually talking about. Sure, sorry, not sorry. This about retarded that. Nonsense. Sorry, about that. sorry. Um sorry. the uh like you and I both agree that we should cut immigration entirely for a while. 
I think we ten should, years. I, I think we should cut it permanently for any country that can't get their shit together. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a hundred thousand member terrorist organization, and like you, you can fucking we're not we're not doing this uh, Ivy League dean pers- or like uh, uh, I need some more perspective or whatever the fuck they said on this issue. Um, the flag, the Houthi flag, says uh, Allah Akbar, whatever they all do. But then it says, "Death to America, death to Israel, curse the Jews, victory for Islam." That's what it says, like in a row on their flag. Fuck you. Right? I mean, and we can stop them from coming here. Certainly, we have Yemen. There's a ban on travel from Yemen for yeah. sure. But if we're traveling in or around their general area and they start attacking our stuff, you're gonna fucking die, bro. Yeah. Fuck you. The end. I guess I don't know what the fuck we're talking about here. I don't understand what the big deal is with the Houthis. Like they've done some really good stuff in Yemen. For example, <laughs> re-legalized slavery. Mm-hmm. Oh shit! You don't say. Yeah, mostly for women though. I think right. Yeah, it's mostly sex slaves. Yeah. Oh god! Which is, is, you that, know, is that real? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Real. Ste- they like stealing Jesus women from Christ. Ethiopia. So black, black women mostly. Uh, Why? What do you mean? Why they're fucking evil? Yeah, they're <laughs> like, no, but I mean, is shit. that but is that a kink? Obviously, like oh, no, skin it's just tone like, means it's just a lot. Easy to it's steal. slavery. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so Ethiopia, Eritrea, and fucking Somalia have been in, in a civil war since what the early nineties? Oh, I think God, dude. since the actually the late eighties, probably. So forty years now, basically. So they have sex slaves, Ethiopian sex slaves over there. Ethiopian, Eritrean, and Somalian, like any anybody from that general area north. East Africa. Who would who would actually give a shit? This is a serious question. Who for all of you? Who would actually give a shit if we nuked the entire country of Yemen off the face of the planet? What, do we do we get anything from them? Um, other Muslims would be upset about it, I guess. So what? I mean, they're going to get the seventy three virgins and all the other shit. So who fucking cares, right? Yeah. If that's what you believe in, like you're just going there quicker this, and we're this, helping you. This is why I say that this version of Islam that's practiced in the Middle East, primarily practiced in in the Middle East, is incompatible with modern life. Yep. And it was th- this was the case if if the Dark Ages Christianity was around right now, I would say the same goddamn thing about them. Like yeah. you, you killing scientists because you don't like their fucking outlook or. Uh, uh, putting big rocks on witches, women, because they're doing math and shit like that. Like, Who fucking do you? What'd you say? Oh, equals rock. You're dead bitch. Yeah. Uh, those people can't continue to exist. Like we, I'm not saying we need to round them up and kill them all, but we should definitely exclude them from our society. If you're a fucking person in America that's talking and thinking like that, and you're not a natural citizen, get the fuck out. Go on. Kick them out. All of them. Yep. Put them on that catapult that Nate Wessel built and launch them into the fucking ocean. I agree. Uh, last question here uh, before we get to some sponsors to put the shit wagon on the air uh, for you is Dr. Fauci came out and made a statement uh, yesterday that uh, the medical community kind of got it wrong and uh, the, the whole six feet of distance thing seemed to be kind of made up. Yeah, well, we knew that. They said that last year that it was all made up, right? Right, but this is the first time that Fauci actually said it. So why are people still doing it and pressing for it and everything else? Is I don't this, fucking know. But is that did part you, of the conditioning process? Did you see? Like, you saw we played that video on Monday's fake news, right? Of the the San Francisco City Council, yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah. And everybody's wearing masks. Why the fuck are they still wearing masks? I don't know. There's no there's no fucking point in that size of a room unless they were only there for twenty minutes. That's it. Like even an N95 at 20 minutes, it's done. It stops working properly in a confined space like that. Right. Uh, go, go go to Tim Kennedy's Instagram real quick here and uh, and just pull this up. 
Um, I'll just show you a, a couple of the photos that he posted um, in a row, and uh, and then we'll get to the sponsors. Um, but uh, these, to me, I just keep scrolling down there. Uh, so the New York Post thing? Yeah, yeah. I think it was the New York Post thing. There you go. Uh, and then scroll through. Yeah. He's, he's, a woman got arrested on a playground. Remember that? She took mm-hmm. her kids to the playground during this. There was no six feet of distance. No yeah, mask. and then, then on Manhattan Beach here. Manhattan and Beach. And fucking L.A., which is like not even that many people. If you go to Manhattan Beach, even in the middle of the summer, you might see like one row of people down near the water in lawn chairs and shit, but it's never a crowded beach, mm-hmm. right? People, Mostly people are walking around going to the restaurants and bars and shit in that area. Yeah. And they'll cruise down, fucking look at the water for a minute and then come back. That's it. One dude's down there and they fucking... Ar- he was out surfing too, I think. Yeah. Like, oh, you're going to give them dolphins AIDS, man. Crazy. You got to get you out of here. Yeah, it's the dumbest shit of all time. Absolutely crazy. So these people's minds are broken. That's what's going on. And I lived, I lived down by there, so mm-hmm. like I know it's that area. Remember there. these fucking circles on college campuses? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's just like This is a park in, in LA, I think, or San Francisco, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, Palm was, Trees, that's LA. Yeah, or San Diego, I, but maybe. But I think that was University of California. Um, what, Berkeley? I think so. There's no, that, I don't think so. That doesn't look like Berkeley. <laughs> this looks like it's smack in the middle of a city. Yeah, that looks like. Um, and there's a skyline in the background here. I don't know. Oh, what wait, it is, is that Patrol? No, that's, is that, is that that thing right there in the middle, that little tower looking thing? Does that look like Patrol Hill? I think it's you? Detroit. Could be. Could be Detroit. Palm, a lot of palm trees in Detroit. And people don't associate it, but it's true. Uh, I think that might be San Francisco. That might be Dolores Park or something like that. I, just based on the three houses right there, it kind of reminds me of San Francisco. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't remember there where being the full palm house, trees like that in Dolores Park. It's where Park. the full house, uh, house was. You know, That's where all the tanners were. Yeah. Well, anyways, their brains are broken. So. Yeah, it's super strange to see. Uh, real quick, though, we'll get to some sponsors to put this shit wagon on the air. First and foremost, we got firstform.com forward slash drinking bros over there. Boom, here they are. Microfactors. All right, so we're on YouTube today, so you can see. See the box. Just sits right in front of my face. Patreon, D'Anthony, we don't do ads over there. Ah. That's the beauty of, of uh, being on Patreon. You don't have to listen to ads. YouTube, sorry, bro. You got to listen to ads. They're not paying us, for Christ's sakes. I couldn't even find the goddamn fake news last night until uh, Delco sent me the link here. But if you are watching on YouTube, here it is. Here's the first form box right there. Sits right next to me every single day is a nice little reminder of, hey, dummy, take your vitamins. Here it is. Tray opens up, boom, vitamins come out in the bag, good to go. That's all you need. You, you don't have also, to scrape them off the counter with a butter knife anymore. You can also say vitamins if you're uh, British. You could. You sure could. I wouldn't recommend it. Nah, me neither. you can. You can do it. Me neither. This is America. Do what you want. It sure is. Uh, a lot of people are axing out there. What's in those vitamins? I'll tell you. You got the antioxidants, the CoQ10s. You got the multivitamins, the fruits and veggies, the probiotics, and the EFAs in here. All the good stuff. Because let's face it, we're not eating the way we want to, working out the way we want to uh, every single day to stay healthy. Some days we miss days at the gym. Today's one of those days for me. I've been getting rocked all day. Definitely not going to work out after this. Go to firstform.com forward slash drinking bros today. You're going to get free shipping on orders over $75 over there. Uh, check out their energy drinks while you're over there. Big fan of those guys. Uh, huge fan of their company. Uh, use them every single day. And again, it just sits right next to me on my desk so I don't forget. Uh, next up is Lucy. 
dot co slash drinking bros. I'd love to pull that up for you, but every time we get Lucy in the studio, it's gone, D'Anthony. Everybody's doing Lucy. Yeah. Even my wife. Shit, she's doing fucking Yeah, Lucy. she's not ripping jewels anymore. Well, occasionally. Um, I think once the 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 first log ran out over yeah. here of the pouches and all that stuff, the gum, she was like, She hey, goes bro. back to it, yeah. She'll go back to yeah, it. They, I mean, it reminds me of the Tommy Stojak character from Greg's books. Um, he's got like a... He's got a couple of nicotine patches on, a dip uh-huh. in, and he's smoking all at the same time. Yeah, Why Greg, not? our favorite author, Greg Hurwitz, is coming up after this. Uh, Lucy.co slash drinking bros. What is it? What is Lucy? You know what Lucy is, you losers. Uh, you use it for increased alertness, attention, and mood. Lucy makes tobacco free nicotine for people to focus better, think deeper, chill out smoother, and inspire creativity. Um, shit, Evan and Matt were the ones who turned me on to this back in the day, dude. Yeah, after they went on Aubrey's show and he talked about just the the nootropic benefits. Yeah. Right? Without, um, I mean, nobody, I, I don't know. I don't want to walk around smelling like cigarettes all the time. Me neither. You know what I mean? It's gross. I quit smoking, fuck, man, 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad that I did, but for, I'm for, glad that there's an option. Yeah. So you don't have to do it's that. It's a better, from, from my perspective, for me personally, it's a better way to use that nicotine product and get all those benefits that they're talking about I mean, absolutely like alertness uh-huh. and mental clarity and stuff like that i mean it works and you'll never find tobacco in any of their products over there lucy pouches <laughs> are available in five strengths anywhere from two milligrams to 12 milligrams 12 different flavors cinnamon mint mango wintergreen pomegranate apple ice espresso uh, best in the biz over there. So whether you use nicotine to focus better, to get a, a boost in energy, or just to chill and relax, Lucy is made for your nicotine routine. Uh, Lucy products, by the way, are only available for adults of legal age. So let's not think that you're going to be 16 years old out there doing doing Lucy. Uh, and every order is age verified over there. So if you want to try Lucy's tobacco-free breakers, pouches, or gum, go to lucy.co uh, slash drinking bros. And again, that's code drinking bros for 20% off your first order over there at checkout. Uh, Lucy offers free shipping and also has a 30-day refund policy if you change your mind. That is L-U-C-Y dot C-O, and use the code DRINKINGBROS to get 20% off, and as always, free shipping. Warning, this product does contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical over there. Next up, we got Fieldcraft Survival. D'Anthony, tell us about this app. Yeah, Fieldcraft, well, you know, Mike... We all, we all know Best Mike. He, he's he's uh, you know former tier one operator. He's been running Fieldcraft Survival for a very long time. Uh, you know to to teach people how to uh, survive in off the land, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not to leave society or anything like that. It's like what happens if the power goes out? Can you keep your family alive for long enough for the power to get restored or whatever? Right? If a natural disaster happens, terrorist attack, whatever, they have. Bushcraft, survival, disaster prep, medical, and trauma training all encompassed in their programs. Well, now it's on an app, right? Yep. And it inc- includes instructions on jujitsu, combative, self-defense, uh, uh, weapons, disaster preparedness, pretty much everything you need to know if shit goes sideways. Yep. And it's all on an app now, so it's easily accessible. Uh, you know, it, it's 
the, the goal here is to prepare every citizen to be prepared for the worst case scenario, not just to protect yourself and your family, but your community as well. And now with the Fieldcraft Survival app, you can learn all things preparedness from the experts there at Fieldcraft. The monthly subscription, you're going to get 30 days free with the promo code DRINKINGBROS30 over there. For the annual subscription, you're going to get 35% off of your annual subscription using Drinking Bros 35 over there. Start training, start preparing, stay alert, and stay alive with Field Craft Survival. Uh, last but not least, is Bobby here? Is Bobby paying attention today? I like to keep him on his toes over What's going there. on, baby? What's the last one? Who do we got up here today, Bubs. Bobby? Bubsnaturals.com. Let's go, dude. A little bit of MCT oil. Put it right in my coffee uh, to get going every single day. The collagen protein will be your new favorite functional coffee creamer over there. Huge fan of Bub's Naturals. Don't sleep on those apple vinegar gummies either, okay? Best in the biz over there. What is Bub's Naturals? Well, Bub's Naturals is uh, is named after Glenn Bub Doherty, who laid down his life in Benghazi over there, helping out Americans. And uh, one of his besties started a foundation for him, the Glenn Bub Doherty Foundation. And 10% of all proceeds go to Glenn's foundation. And on Veterans Day, 100%. Uh, go to the Glenn Bub Doherty Foundation over there. Uh, Glenn was always working on his body and uh, and staying healthy. Mental and physical fitness over there. This company is woven uh, in the same fabric as what Glenn believed in over there. Gigantic fan of these guys. Uh, they've been on now for, I think, two years. Uh, the CEO was on the show. Love that episode, man. Uh, big fan of Bub's Naturals over there. If you're looking... Uh, to support a veteran-owned company. And let's face it, you're buying this shit every day anyways. Uh, you're, you're using the collagen. You're using the MCT oil. Anybody over the age of, what, 26, 27 should be using this on a daily basis. Yeah. You might as well buy it from a company that supports veterans. Go to bubsnaturals.com today uh, to get 20% off over there. Or is it 10? What do we got, Bob? Is it, is it 10 or 20? I want it to be 20 in all these products. I can't stop it. Twenty um, percent off. Oh, thank God, thank God, dude. When it's ten, I get angry. Jack that up to twenty. Let's give our listeners something special. You know what I'm saying? Twenty percent off makes me feel like I'm doing something. Go to bubsnaturals.com today. Promo code Drinking Bros will get you twenty percent off. All right, kids. Uh, last year on the program, we had a worldwide famous author, mm-hmm. Greg Hurwitz, on. Uh, one of the best in the biz. One of my favorites, yeah. I mean, for real, it's him and Jack Carr are my two favorite thriller writers. Mm-hmm. So it's good to be know them both and be friends with them both, and it's good for them to come on the show and talk about this stuff. And I and I told Greg last time he was on the show, I was like, hey, dude, this this convo went so great. Just come back anytime. Some of our faves, we tell that. And, uh, and he hit us up. He was like, hey, bro, got a new book. And I was like, great, let's do it tomorrow. Uh, here is Greg Hurwitz. Welcome back, sir. One of the greatest authors of our generation, mm-hmm. any generation, any generation, Greg, I would say you're better than Plato. Uh, yes or no? Uh, I think that's a blurb on my new book. Mm. Somebody <laughs> a blurb, Greg yeah. Hurwitz, better than Plato. <laughs> uh, you were on the show last year. We loved hanging out with you. I said, hey, dude, come back anytime. We actually do mean that when we say this on this program. We're glad to have you back. Here's the shocker for me, though, being a writer. How the fuck are you pumping out this many books? 
over and over and over again at, the, at this high quality. Do you have a team of writers? Be honest with me. Is there eight other fucking Gregs sitting in a room behind you, behind that fireplace there that are helping you with this? It's all monkeys and typewriters, man. Oh, shit, you got to put the odds. Yeah, that's what uh, didn't uh, didn't uh, Dawkins say something about that in his book, The Selfish Gene? If you put enough monkeys with typewriters, they will eventually write a play. I think so. I think yeah, so. Right? I think it was Hamlet. If it was a, it's fan. me back, you guys. What's really funny is my publicist put this the hold on this date, and they, she called it the Drunken Brothers Podcast. What's well, kind of same thing. Well, it's thing. just a tense issue. It depends where I catch you in your morning. I think. Well, I think uh, you ha- you have one of the more impressive whiskey collections. I think I've uh, I've laid eyes on. Um, so maybe you're the drunken brother. Could be to you. Be honest. I am drinking though right now, Greg. I got the hard AF seltzer right now, so I'm, I'm well, drinking. Well, it's Friday. Right now. It is Friday. It's after whatever time it is. <laughs> well, so uh, Greg, let's let's start with that, okay? When do you start drinking in your week? Here's mine, okay? Uh, okay. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, sober. 2 p.m. on Wednesday, start drinking, and that goes into Saturday nights. That's a good run. Mm. Is it a, I, is it okay uh, I, or am I going to die? No. Uh, no, I think you're okay. Okay. I think you're good. As long as you eat some kale. I think that's the balance. Oh, shit. No, we don't do we that. Don't eat, we don't eat kale. That's all kale? steak over all right. here. Yeah. That's all meat. You guys are probably fucked then. You probably won't make it to next year. I'm okay. sorry to say. That's fine. That's fine. But it's good, you know. Um, for me, I'm, I'm like a one or two cocktails at five guy. Mm. Okay. okay. And, that's, and that's it for the day? Yeah, I mean, unless, you know, like, let's say let's say you guys are in town and you're over for a whiskey tasting, mm-hmm. then that's a little bit different, right? Then we're going to, then we got to get a little bit rangier. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, well let's get into it. Cause, so, um, for those who don't know, author of the Nowhere Man series, the Orphan X series, yep. um, Evan Smoke, the main character, is, um, I guess, uh, a vodka nerd, right? And, it, and you, you go into great detail explaining quite a few different vodkas. I don't know if you're being sponsored by any of these co- companies or not, but you're more of a whiskey nerd, right? So tell me about your proclivities. What do you, what's, what's your favorite? What are you drinking right now? Well, in terms of drinking, I'm, I'm a hardcore Blanton's guy. So I have, uh, right now I have Blanton's. I got the Blanton's black label that mm. goes to Japan only. I got a green label that's really good and soft. Um, I have the straight from the cask, which is a lot of fire, but it still has got the Blanton smoothness. The gold, which is perfect. And then I got an Elmer T. Lee, who of course um, created Blanton's, but so then later on, but he named it after Colonel Blanton, and then they did a line that's devoted to him. And so that's like half of my top shelf is all in the Blanton's category. I actually like, I prefer it to Pappy Van Winkle. I think Winkle oh, wow. is really? nice. Yeah, I think that Blanton's is as good, as fine as fine a bourbon as you ever are going to get, I think, is Blanton's. That's and a bold statement the- to compare it to Pappy. Because wow. you're talking about, like, that bottle of Pappy that's commensurate with the Blanton black label <laughs> is, what, like, 2500 bucks on the low end, I think? Yeah, they go up all the way, man. Yeah. They go up to $20,000. Like 20, grand, yeah, I think. For I, the, I just think Blanton's is perfect. And you asked about the vodka. So, you know, if it's me, I'm bourbon. Bourbon's mm. kind of like where where I feel at home. But my character, Evan Smoke, he's a very OCD, meticulous government assassin. And so what he drinks is vodka because it's the purest liquid on earth. And he drinks it. It's all distilled. It's I describe it almost alchemically. Like mm. the process by which the vodka is made and distilled and perfected is a lot like Evan's training, that everything is meticulous. And he drinks it almost like a purification ceremony. Mm. He drinks it. He'll have like a half a martini 
just to get the edge, but it's it's him being in conversation with this pure thing that's achieved through excellence. It's almost like the alchemy of the liquid matches the alchemy of themselves. Yeah, like antiseptic. It's because one of his rituals. Yeah. For those of you who haven't read the series, one of his rituals is after an operation, coming back and taking off his uh, clothes and boots and throwing them into a fire to get rid of the evidence and shit, mm-hmm. and then pour himself. He's got a sub zero freezer. With, yep. all, with all of his booze in it, pours himself a drink, blah, 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 right? So it is, it's like those rituals. It's a ritual, yeah. Yeah, those are, it's really, it's a really good, uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the series, to be honest, how into mm. detail you go about that stuff. Mm. Well, you know, the details are where, are where it lives, and it's what we come back for. You know, if I ask you guys what your favorite James Bond sequence is, you might take a minute to answer, but we all know immediately how he takes his martini. Mm. You know, so the, the character is the thing that pulls us in. And I love writing action. I love writing suspense. I love cliffhanging and playing with all that. But I think at the end of the day, what drives us back to something, it's always going to be character. And so it's for me, it's always going to be about Evan first and foremost and how that character is exemplified in everything he says, everything he does, how he drinks. The action sequences, too, are different, mm-hmm. right? An Evan, Orphan X action sequence is different than Born. It's different than Reacher. So everything has to be sort of distinguished through this filter of of him and his character. Yeah, sure. Uh, and that's that's what's got to be alive and breathing for people, or else we're just watching you know endless action, and then you feel like you're in that third act of the action movie that you're just getting mm-hmm. punched in the face with violence, and it gets old. There there is a lot of uh, overlap though in the in the premise. Um, I don't remember. Born Born has a statement for it too, but for um, Evan, it's one of the Ten Commandments, how you do anything is how you do everything. And then for uh, for uh, Reacher, it's uh, Lee Child wrote, I think the phrase is, details matter in an investigation. He says it over and over throughout that mm-hmm. series, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you're hitting on the same stuff over and over. Um, you know who else has a great one is, uh, you know, Harry Bosch, which mm. he says, everyone counts or no one counts. Oh, yeah, that's a good one too, yeah. that's Is that series wrap now? Uh, I'm not sure where it is. Um, You know, Mike's done such a great job with that. Michael Connolly, it's it's Michael's series, and he's, you know, he's been extraordinary keeping that alive and keeping on top of it creatively, too, through through TV, through different formats. So it's been pretty cool to see these guys who were, you know, a step ahead of me, like, kind of continue to explode. When I came up, it was very much like Lee Child, um, Robert Crace, Michael Connolly, um, you know, they were all sort of just starting to explode uh, in that process early in my career. So it's been really cool watching them kind of spread their wings through the culture. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and uh, for us, it's Jack Carr. So mm-hmm. Jack Carr is a buddy of ours in real yeah. life. And uh, we've been friends with him over the years, and it's cool to see what happens. You know, well, Amazon had a lot to do with it, let's face it. But it's cool to see what happens when an Amazon series pops, and then boom, you know, your stuff is all over the world. Not only did, did the series pop, but it popped enough that downstream characters are getting their own spinoffs. Oh, yeah, it's you know nuts. What I mean? So it's really it's good. Great. So since we're talking about that, and by the way, for uh, for Bosch, for Connolly, uh, Titus Welver, casting him to play that role of Bosch was fucking great. I mean, it's yep. like it that, that shit matters. Um, and this is a good segue into a question we asked you a year ago. When the fuck am I going to get to see Evan Smoke on yes, the screen? Yes, dude. And who is it going to be? Who is it going to be and when am I going to get to see him? Give us the answer, well, Greg. We're working on it right now. I mean, so here's the path that I figured that I'm on. And I, I hope I have news soon. So, you know, I'll come back next week and we can talk. Sure. I, ideally, we're, we're popping into this. So um, 
but one of the things I thought about for the series that I want to do is to land it somewhere right with the right producers, like to steward the project in the right studio. A lot of times if you lead with an actor, you're sort of in the actor's window of availability, right? If they change their mind, if they get cast somewhere else. And so what I'm really trying to do is steer in the Orphan X series to a home at a studio and with producers who I trust mm -hmm. and then take the casting from there. And so that's the first sort of hurdle that we're that we're on right now and we're figuring that out kind of in real time you didn't answer the fucking question yeah that was right? really listen i'm gonna be on on tuesday he's the, he's the, he's the white house press secretary Jesus over here Christ. Yeah. Um, what are we doing listen it's all it's all fake news you guys we all understand that <laughs> It's part of a vast right-wing conspiracy to shut down me. I'm, I'm trying to talk to you guys. You keep mansplaining over me. Um, and frankly, I think I think you should be outraged. I think the American people are going to see straight through what you two are doing here oh boy, today in real go. time. And you should be ashamed go. of yourself. Give us an Evan Smoker. Who's your dream for Evan Smoker? Who well, is you know, it? to be honest, it's probably going to have Smoker. to be a new guy, right? I was, so I've been thinking about this a lot. And like... For a brief time, I had Bradley Cooper attached. That's mm -hmm. who I was first developing it for. Okay. And that was back in like 2016, right? I think. Yeah, it was. But, you know, he went and did A Star is Born and is, you know, is doing different, you know, stuff now. And he's doing it quite Maestro's out right mm -hmm. now. He's going to be nominated oh, yeah. for an Oscar. Yeah. 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 He's, he's an extraordinary, extraordinary talent. Um, but so part of it is, I think you're right. I think that what I don't want to do is have somebody that we're seeing the movie star through the character. I think a little bit of that happened with Tom Cruise's Reacher. Mm -hmm. And I really, though, though you know, I, I did I did think it was really cool that Lee got that series made in a huge way. But it's being remade now with an actor who everyone's not as familiar with. And so when you go to watch the show Reacher, I just feel like I'm watching Reacher. I'm watching the character instead mm. of watching a movie star playing a role. 100%. Um, and so I am very open to people who might be lesser known or also thinking about people who are known in one role, like you mentioned um, the Harry Bosch bit of casting, mm. right? Or like Brian Cranston, who came from Malcolm in the Middle right. and then Inc. or Breaking Bad, where you're just seeing someone in a totally new light. And so I think that rather than chasing down some of the more predictable answers, I want to be open to, to more creative choices with casting. I mean, the key is, I always say, you know, he's average size, average height, average build, mm. just an ordinary guy, not too good looking. He's got to just blend in. Ray Romano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Danny DeVito. Uh, 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 hey, guys. Uh, like that, I think that would be really fun and just totally shocking for everybody. Evan, it was Ray Romano. Evan would never have that much gesticulation in his conversation. He's very no. measured. And like, even he, count, he makes sure that his blink rate is on pace. You know what I mean? Yeah. There yeah. yeah. would so, have to be somebody that has the ability to stay pretty stoic, to be honest. Otherwise, you're going to be doing a lot of reshoots. Right. And I, I love what you said about Jack Reacher because it's 100% true. Yeah, that so, dude came from Blue Mountain State. Yes. And, remember and that? The, the, <laughs> the other part of this, too, is when Reacher came out, I remember everyone bitched who loved the series because they were like, hey, this big 6'5 guy is now 5'6. Yeah, and yes, you got Tom Cruise and it's great <laughs> and you can have some box office from it. But the success they've had on Amazon Prime is simply because it is closer to the book and they just picked up a second season of it. So it's clearly working. No, you they just picked up need... a third. The second season's going to wrap, I think. Oh, you're next right. Week. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but they, they yeah. don't need, you don't need the famous, the most famous guy in the world to do it. Just a great actor because they already love the character mm. already. They're already invested from the characters in the book. Just get a great actor. 
uh, who can live up to the character hype, what everybody's read for over the years, and then, great, you can move on from there. I'm, I yeah. agree with you. I don't think you need the most famous person nah, in the world. And especially, like, getting somebody that's young enough that they can stay in that character for a decade, probably yeah. seven, like six, seven, eight years, or something like that, um, is going to be really important because there's so much character development. I mean, for those again, for those who haven't read the series, Evan starts off as a completely... Uh, uh, not completely, but a mostly empty shell of a human being that's like just a fucking remorseless killing machine, and he's trying to win. He's trying to buy back his soul basically by doing good things for people in the way that he knows how, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's like as these other peripheral characters, uh, Mia Hall and 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 Joey and Tommy have been introduced over the course of the series. It's like he's becoming a human being again, right? And from my perspective as a military veteran, combat veteran. That's that series has really spoken to me about the ways in which you can like we we tend to when we get super depressed or fucking even suicidal, we withdraw from society a lot in the same way that Evan was. Right. Uh, And that's not why he did it. He did it because he was a government operative. But we do that because we don't want for a variety of reasons. We don't want to fucking give be embarrassed by it. We don't want to download our bullshit onto other people or whatever. But one of my favorite things about this series is how he's become progressively more human as it's gone on. And it, and it harkens back to what his mentor Jack said to him in the beginning. The hardest part's not killing, it's staying human, right? That's right. And I think so much of it is, I mean, first of all, I appreciate that very much. I always, it's important to me to hear from kind of the real deal. People who've served, you know, how, how to deal with that, how to deal with different operational modes, and, you know, I think I think it's true for a lot of people, even at a level where it isn't life or death stakes, that, you know, we tend to have these modes where we're very locked on a lot of perfectionism. And it gets very complicated when other human beings are around because they're not they don't fit into a sort of perfectionistic OCD view of the world. And um, I think that one of the things that's key, I wrote Batman for a few years for DC Comics, and I was always intrigued by the balance between perfection and intimacy in Batman, meaning, you know, he doesn't have a magic ring, he can't fly, he doesn't do all that stuff. He just represents the pinnacle of what a man can achieve, right, with physical, spiritual, emotional training Mm -hmm. and technology. He represents the pinnacle of that. But the only reason he can be perfect operationally as a human is because he's alone. His parents are dead. You know, Robin's around, but Robin's always getting fucking killed and leaving him alone again, (laughs) right? He's not with anybody. And he says, like, I don't wear the mask to protect myself to protect the people around me, right? Is something that he says a lot throughout that series. That's right. But so when I was writing Evan, I thought, you know, what could be so amazing is to to have a series where he's developing. When he was trained, he was taken out of a foster home at the age of 12 and taught to be an assassin. But as you say, Jack loved him. His handler and father figure who was training him really loved him and wanted to keep this this sort of pilot light of of an ethical center, a moral center. And so, but one of the things Evan says is he never learned how to speak the strange language of intimacy. Mm. He was just raised as this killing machine from the age of 12. And the series is very much about his process of becoming, him trying to figure out how do you deal with people in the mess of everyday life? How do you deal with your own, the sort of operational constraints and rules that he has around him in the Ten Commandments while also trying to accommodate to understand people and their quotidian concerns? and their weird emotions and their unpredictability. 
And so I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. I mean, we all we all are trying to figure out and deal with intimacy or dealing with different modes of ourselves. And it's the series is really about his integration. And so, you know, this is book nine in the series, and it's really he's in a really different place than certainly books one, two, and three. He's thawing into a whole different definition and having him evolve that way, having him speak to figuring out how to be a human instead of just having his face up at the aquarium glass looking in at other people leading these ordinary lives that he himself can never lead he's trying to kind of engage and he does so very imperfectly yeah well, i like it it's to me that's the big difference between um the orphan x series and all the others reacher reese rap Cortland gentry all these guys because they're already all people that bad shit happened to or they're doing operations or whatever it is but evan is we're, we're watching him become a human being over the course of the last 10 years or so that's right and i think it's not look i started writing orphan x when i was on the cusp of 40 years old um and that's you know 40 was big i mean at least 40 was really big for me it was bigger in some ways even than 50 which i just turned 50 but i think that there's that point you hit when you when you really like you know jump the hurdle to middle age that you start to think about all the all the kind of rules and stories we have about ourselves that have served us pretty well but that might not for the next we hope 40 years or the next half of life and so it's funny that i wound up writing this series and i start the series right at the point that his 10 assassins commandments and you named one how you do anything is how you do everything Right there's the fourth commandment: never make it personal. The first commandment: assume nothing. He has all these rules for how he can engage impeccably, but he's just at the point where he's realizing that they might not sustain him for the rest of his life with what's to come. And I think we all hit that point in some ways where we recognize, wow, I had all these stories about myself as kind of a striving young man archetype that now probably aren't going to hold, or else I'm just going to double what I already did in the first half of my life over again, which is kind of a midlife crisis that you're stuck in instead of breaking up the rules and putting them back together in a way that can be transformative. Um, and so it's a lot of what happens. Like, it's really funny that in hindsight, I didn't start the series when he was taken out of a foster home at the age of 12. And I didn't start the series during his training. I didn't start the series during his orphan X missions that he did, though we've gotten peaks of them through the books I didn't start the series when he started being the nowhere man, which is where he people dial an encrypted phone number who are in desperate need and he answers and will help them, you know, if they're being terrorized by other people and they have nowhere else to turn. But I started the series on the first nowhere man mission that all the rules get blown out the window, Mm. that he breaks every one of the 10 commandments. So it's at this, at this weird part where the whole world blows apart. And that's where I start the series is him reconstructing how he does his mission, how he commits the assassinations, how he helps people, how he relates to people from scratch. And he's trying to let go of the things that keep him sort of suspended in this perfect bubble of OCD perfectionism. Yeah, and then you can see him overcoming that OCD even in the commandments because uh, he adds in an 11th, don't, never, don't fall in love with plan A, right? That's right. Um, well, yeah. and you can see that the most quoted commandment is the second commandment. Um, they even referenced it in, in the last John Wick movie, which I thought was kind of funny, which is how you do anything is how you do how you do anything is how mm-hmm. you do everything. And you can really see that that perfectionism, whether we apply it to work or working out or like to get every detail right, right? This notion that everything in our lives is fractal, that if we set ourselves in order and everything that we do in order, we can find a better 
resonance with everyone around us and then the environment and then these sort of interesting things start to happen. But you can certainly see where that commandment could get stuck on a loop and turn into like an OCD compulsion loop. Mm. And that happens sometimes when he's under a great amount of stress or trauma. And that happens in Lone Wolf and in the new book. And for me personally, being a Hollywood guy, I don't understand how you have nine books and don't know who your dream cast list is for this. For real. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I'm going to go back to something. Look, I, I know I can, I can really get back into the archives with you, Hollywood-wise. I know you sold the rights for this in 2019. So what happened with that deal? And then do you have the rights back? And then, like, how does that go on? I know these things are usually a year or two, uh, sometimes three, and then they expire and then they revert back to the author. Did you get the rights back? And I have you the right. Yeah, I have the rights back, and I'm figuring out literally right now where we're going to place them again. And it's a little different. I mean, so, you know, I, I did do the first swing with features. I took a swing at it with TV. Um, and one of the things that I realized as it was going on when I first sold Orphan X and I adapted it for Bradley Cooper and his company, I was writing The Nowhere Man and then I was starting to write Hellbent. And by the time I was playing with TV, I was still adapting it. I did a draft with Derek Kolstad, who's the creator of John Wick, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the John Wick series. And one of the things I realized was that for me, holding these parallel universes, so by then I'd already written Out of the Dark and Into the Fire, and I was starting to write Prodigal Son. And I realized that to have me be the creator, to have me be the, whether it was the creator of the TV show, co-creator, or screenwriter, I'd written too many in the novels. I'd written too many novels and moved the plot along to go back and reset and be able to keep track of both of them with the differences. Mm. And so... You know, given that that process took a while because the TV, we went through the pandemic with that. Yep. Hollywood had a huge shakeup. It was, we were in and out of all sorts of stuff. And basically, it didn't work. And when I got the rights back, one of the things I realized was that I want to be involved one step back, like George R. R. Martin for Game of Thrones, or like Lee Child does for Reacher, where somebody else has the football. If I can find a creator or, or you know, in, the, in this case, versus producers. And I'm there as a resource, but I can't go back and reset and remember all the details and characters for two parallel universes that now are going to have a lot of uh, narrative runway to both of them. It's just too much to hold in my head. So I'm going to focus on writing the books. And, you know, if we get this up and running for TV or features, I'll, I'll be there as a resource, but not the not final pen. Okay. Um, there's a, another author that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, Scott Sigler. Um, he's got a continuity guy that he pays to go back through all of his novels and all that other stuff. I would have to imagine on nine, you've got to have somebody that's able to go back and do all that stuff. I've got a, a series of my own that's on four and just trying to go back on my own. is very, very fucking difficult. I can't even imagine nine because God forbid you get it wrong. With your fan base and everything else that's behind you, and, and same with mine, if I get one single detail wrong, I'll get a fucking million messages yeah. about it. You have to be the same way. So do you have a continuity guy doing all this for you? You know, for the most part, it's really weird because I'm so absent-minded, but I have a lot of the books in my head. And so I have a bunch of PDF documents with them grouped together, and I can usually search and find any scene. So if I don't remember something like the color of someone's eyes... I'll kind of know in my head, there was a scene where I mentioned it somewhere in the fifth book, you know, around this part. And I can usually search and find it at this point. I mean, the other thing is, is I really think of this. I mean, the first, this is nine, I'm working on 10. 
it's one uber narrative in a lot of ways. And so for some reason, that's helping all the stories kind of live with me, even though I have to do a lot of double checking. So continuity definitely matters. I agree with you if you get something wrong, you know, you hear about it. Mm -hmm. The two things you cannot do is you cannot get a gun detail wrong, as you guys know, <laughs> and you can't kill a cat. Because, man, if you kill a cat, those cat people come after you and yeah. they're crazy. Or dogs. D'Anthony <laughs> cares about dogs as well. Well, uh, I, I, I wouldn't kill a dog. I'm too, you know, yeah. dogs are... Dogs to me rank higher than people. So. It depends on what it is. When I see those, uh, you know, arms of an angel commercials with Sarah McLaughlin and shit, all those dirty ass mangy dogs in those fucking cages execute all of them. <laughs> I just don't want to see them in real life. Like, give me the the cute, beautiful, shrunken down ones that are super expensive. If I get to see a dog in my face, I want it looking pretty. You know, I want a sexy dog at the end of the day, not because it's a fetish. Just it's my personal preference. Um, but our producers here host a show called Softcore History. I'm sure when you guys miss on a history or a historical fact, you guys get hammered on this as well. Wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, right? Mm -hmm. How bad is it for you guys? I mean, it's. I'm sure everybody comes after you. Yeah, I mean, people will DM us and be like, hey, dipshit, like, that's not the year Listen. that happened or whatever. We don't care. Okay? <laughs> you know, you guys, I did one that was brutal where I had a scene that takes place in Alaska and I had one of my characters take like a long, dreary bus ride. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that you can't actually access that area by bus. Like you have to take a boat. And so it was super embarrassing. I, I do a lot of in the field research. I mean, I think we talked about some of it last time. Mm -hmm. I've, I've swam with sharks. I've gone up and stunned airplanes. I've snuck onto demolition ranges with Navy SEALs to blow up cars. I've shot all the guns he does. So I, I pride myself on this. I've gone, you know, I went to the jungles of Oaxaca at one point. I went to Galapagos for two weeks. But, you know, this was just a bit of Google research. It was, and I know why. It was at the end. I'd written a draft that I needed to add a piece. But we got it wrong. We got it really, like, howlingly, stupidly wrong. And by we, I mean me. <laughs> and so I got the first email and fixed it, you know, for future drafts, right, and for the for, uh, the ebooks. But it's that way in the audiobook. It's that way in hardcovers. And so even though I fixed it, I still get emails now and then and people saying, you dumbass, you ever been to Alaska? I mean, like, it was, <laughs> it was bad, you know. But look, you know, I probably have three million words in print at this point, and some of them are bound to be wrong. And for the most part, my readership's pretty great. And, you know, I, do, I don't mind hearing from them when I need to make corrections. I try and be really meticulous on the weaponry and ordnance. You know, I don't write gun porn. But because he's a gun guy, I want to really make sure that those things are right and that people who are experts in the field, I mean, I don't come to it as naturally as Jack, you know, um, but I've done a lot of research on it and I want to make sure as I do with all the details that if someone's an expert, I'm not going to, I'm going to be able to carry them over the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Well, how does that work for you um, in the ideation phase? You're thinking about <clears throat> Evan's got to pop somebody in a very non-permissive environment, which is the standard for him, right? Yeah. And here's the way I kind of want to do it. Do you go? You take that information and go to one of your buddies who's uh, an operator and be like, hey, how would you do this? Or how does that work? Usually I have the notion in hand, meaning, okay, I need an ambush or I need a knife fight. I talk a lot. One of my college roommates is uh, now an ER doc. Mm -hmm. um, and at times he's in charge of the ER at Mount Sinai in New York. And he's great because I just have him violate his Hippocratic Oath all the time. I'm like, all right, I need three stab wounds through different ribs, puncturing key organs mm. that someone's going to like bleed out within seven minutes. Like, what is it? 
And so he'll give me the breakdown. And I do it the same with my with my experts on, um, you know, ordnance and weaponry. You know, I want to charge that hits this that's going to blow out the windows of a car but not kill everybody inside. Yeah, like a mor- the mortar the- round he dropped on the president's fucking car, what, Limo. four, four bucks right. ago maybe, something like that? That's exactly the yeah. one, yeah. So I call him up and, you know, what do I know? But then he'll say, oh, there's this kind of... There's this kind of explosive, and you don't do it this way, right? And the smell, it's not cordite. People don't have cordite. Like, all the mm-hmm. dumb stuff, right? Um, you know, and I'm I'm pretty good with it. I've shot a lot. Um, I, I mean, I'm decent and comfortable in it. But as, as you know, the difference between somebody who is a dilettante and appreciates research and wants to get things right versus an actual subject matter expert, it's pretty big. Yeah, you know, well, it's like details my, matter. My, Details matter, but it's, you know, it's like, I, I love baseball. You guys are baseball guys, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so it's funny because I'll watch with my wife and she'll be like, God, you know, like everything about baseball. And it's so funny because I think about, you know, Ryan Spader or, or, mm. or you know, Tim Kirchin. And I'm like, the gulf between what you think I know in baseball and what real baseball yeah. statisticians know, <clears throat> you know, you could, you could fill the Grand Canyon with it, right? But yeah. So, so there's these areas. So one of the things I actually like about being a novelist is I get to be a dilettante. I get to, you know, any dark corner of the world that fascinates me, I get to go shine a light on and talk to people who know so much more about it than I do. And then to kind of wrestle that into my understanding and then bring that understanding to others. And that's, that's how it works generally with the weaponry. It's how it works with the hacking, certainly. And it's how it works with a lot of things. I mean, Lone Wolf touches on some issues around around AI and stuff that I just buried myself in for a couple of years. So I get to really go pretty deep with stuff, um, which is a blast. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about doing this show actually, because we've had Nobel prize laureates, phys- physicists, uh, wow. uh, uh, all like authors, musicians, all sorts of people who operate in worlds that I just, that I appreciate, but don't really understand mm-hmm. and being able to, you know, some of them were people that I was actually a huge fans of, but even the ones that I just fucking just now heard of, it's like, I can ask this guy a question that only he can answer. You know what I mean? That's a pretty, that I, that's something I really enjoy about this. That's probably, that's, that's probably my favorite part about doing this. That's why I love coming into work every day is, uh, I'm going to get a nugget of something that I would, I would never get in the outside world. If I'm just walking through Walmart on a daily basis, like I can't ask the Walmart greeter. Um, you know about who they want to cast as Evan Smoker. I can't do that, um, Greg, because they can't read, and I apologize <laughs> for that. Okay, they might listen on audiobook, but they goddamn sure aren't reading the book. Okay, uh, yeah, but uh, what, so that's a good. I wanted to ask you about that too. Over the last um, when I when I was at uh, VP of marketing at Black Rifle Coffee, we went from our orders being ten percent on phones and ninety percent on laptops desktops and shit and it reversed over the course of three years it was 90 percent on phones and 10 percent everywhere else um and i we've seen the same thing happen with audiobooks print and then audio and digital books as well what's what what are the percentages for you now because i think it's like 90 70 to 90 percent on average is audiobooks now for a lot of authors and last i checked especially novelists yes and last i checked mine was 65 35 audio versus uh print and that I think was it's, it's probably two only, years ago. Well, yeah. I, in that two years, I'm sure that gap is it's widened probably, considerably. Well, it's, that, that amount of print is probably because people want signed copies, to be honest. Yes. That would be my guess. Is that yours too, Greg? I think mine are, mine are almost perfectly equal. I have such a weird reader profile. So a couple things that which I, which I love the fact that it's weird. 
I'm about equal with ebook and print and audio. I think audio might outpace it slightly. I do really well. Um, well, you got one of the best in the business from the very beginning of your series, Scott Brick, right? I mean, Scott Brick's yeah. spectacular. Yeah. yeah, he's. I have a wonderful reader, and if you want to hear him, you can call Evans' encrypted number one eight five five two. The numeral two nowhere one eight five five two nowhere, and you can see if Scott's going to answer. But Scott's been with me since the beginning of the series. He does an extraordinary job. Um, so I'm pretty evenly distributed. And the other thing that's really cool that my U.S. publisher told me is that my readership is very evenly skewed from um, liberal to conservative. Like a lot of people tend to lean in, into one kind of bucket or the other. But, but you know, in terms of demographics, every way that you cut it, I have a pretty even um, – audience, which I love because I'm writing characters from all backgrounds. I'm writing two readers from all backgrounds. And I very much try to not straw man anybody. So I, I don't want to ever have the opposing viewpoint where somebody's, you know, paper thin so your hero can kick them through. I try and have everybody be <clears throat> fully realized. And to do that, you know, it's interesting. You guys were talking about the thing you love the most about doing the podcast. And one of the things I think you guys do really well, and this this is, I think, what a lot of the podcasts that work work this way, is when there's real genuine curiosity. Because that kind of authentic conversation is exactly the opposite of what we usually see on social media mm -hmm. or in you know news channel, home team, whichever way you go with cable news. It's the same stuff. You know everything that's going to happen already. Um, and I think one of the things that's great with podcast long-form discussion is when you lead with curiosity, we can come from whatever differences we have in terms of references, in terms even of like different positions we might have on stuff as pertains to the culture or politics. But if you're meeting at a point of curiosity and interest, that's where all the life is. That's where all the like blood goes to that part. And so it's one of the things for me that I love when I'm writing about somebody from whatever background it is to really deep dive it and to really figure out how they think and see the world and to make that valid. And I try and do that for all my antagonists also. Like I want the reader to almost be confused because the antagonist is talking a lot of sense um, in some ways that even might challenge or upset their own and Evan's moral compass. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. You got to have this uh, sense of curiosity about the world and people every single day or you can't be good at this job. I also feel the same way about writing. If you don't have that curiosity every single day, to want to get better, to want to not mess up, to not have the mistakes that we talked about earlier where you're like, shit, where it will haunt your dreams forever. Because look, let's face it, I'm sure after this is over, because uh, I think next one's your last one, right? Mm, we'll see. It's X. You're not going to end <laughs> with 10? Well, it seems what, are you that... you going to change um, him to Orphan 11? <laughs> well, I mean, the first book was Orphan X, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, thank, thank God he wasn't like Orphan W, because it just, you know, yeah, the time would have gone out. You well couldn't do it. that, yeah. I, well, I, just, w assumed, what about, I just assumed you were going to end at 10. What about a parody? It's called Orphan W, and it's George W. Bush. Oh, it'd be great, dude. During his he college years when he's all coked up. Yeah. Hey, man. Driving through the front of people's houses and shit. Who's got a gator tail? <laughs> Who's got a gator tail? So you're not going to stop at 10? Like, I, I thought that was, the, that was the deal we talked about last I'll time, I'll say Greg. this. They're, they're, the first tenor of a piece, they're, they're sort of, it's going to be a decology. And then what's going to happen after is going to be a little bit different. And I'm 
tinkering with that now. Greg. So that's another political answer that I'm going Yeah, to it sure is, Greg. I don't like it. That's what your agent said. Can I your ask- agent said, hey, Greg, look at the numbers. You're doing too goddamn well. You got you to gotta yeah. pump this up and get five more in there to the people. Let me ask I gotta you I got to tell you guys what's weird. And you said you're on your fourth in the series, right? Correct. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. But I did something the opposite of you. Um, I looked at it. This is a serious fucking moment here that I don't think I've had with many people. My writing mentor back in the day told me, you're just going to lose it one day and there's nothing you can do to get it back. And you won't know until the readers say it's dog shit. And by that point, it's too late. The series that I was doing was originally going to be five and I shortened it to four because of how big the podcast took off, how big the, the seltzer company took off, Hardy F. Seltzer and all that stuff. I shortened it to four because I didn't think I could be great for five. I think it could be great for four, but not five. And I didn't want to stretch it out just for a fucking paycheck. I think even this one has taken you longer to write 100% than any of the other ones. Because we're like we're, you've been writing this one for a year and a half now. Yes, dude. And it's been a struggle for planes, trains, automobiles, and all that stuff. And I won't release it because it's the last one. I shortened it from five to four to get the best of the best in there. And that was a personal decision that I made on my own. You don't have any of that going on inside of you where you think, hey, man, I can keep going for 20 of these goddamn things? So here's the thing. I did. A, it's funny you mentioned that with four. I did a series early in my career, four books, the Tim Rackley series. It was the Kill Clause, mm-hmm. the Program, Troubleshooter, and Last Shot. And at four, it was done. The story was just done. There, there wasn't anywhere new to go. And I think part of the difference is Orphan X was my 16th novel. I'd written a ton of like Hitchcock Everyman standalones. But I kept waiting. I mean, I was afraid to write Orphan X, you guys. I kept, I had the idea for it. I kept putting it on the back burner and writing something else and something else. And my notion of it grew and grew. And I think that a lot of that was I came in from standalone novels primarily. And I wanted to have a character who was set up in a way that stories can enter from all kinds of different angles. So with Orphan X, the phone can ring that encrypted number and he can answer. He says, do you need my help? And somebody can need his help, and then off off we go, and we're running there. I can have stories that come in kind of like the X-Men, I'm sorry, the X-Files mythology stories, right? The program that he left, and they're pursuing him. He's got people who are around him in the, the residential tower building where he lives and tries to blend in with ordinary people. There's all these avenues for stories to come into him. And so what's very weird is this, this book, had I been writing it just thinking about it as a thriller series... I probably would be out of runway by now, but because I'm, I've thought of it so much in terms of how does somebody who was an assassin, who viewed the world in kind of black and white colors, who was recoiled from any notion of intimacy, how would he enter life? How would he learn to have more color in the world and engage with people in a way? That to me feels much more inexhaustible. Um, and so that part has been really driving the series. I got to tell you, I'm as excited writing the 10th one as I was writing the first one in the series. It's very alive to me. And as you know all too well, you know, if I'm bored writing it, readers are going to be bored reading it. Yep. And so I have to make sure that I'm lit up in that space when I'm working on it. And there's been uh, more depth and more drive the further I've gone in the series. And so as long as I feel that way, I'm going to keep at it. Does it does it scare you though to go back to to what I was talking about uh, with, with what my mentor said that you're just going to lose it one day? Does that worry you at all? And then you'll be stuck in a place of shit. I wasn't able to finish this the way that I wanted to. That was my biggest fear. Look, there's always an anxiety. I think with any artistic venture, 
And, you know, it's look, it's the same with athletic too, right? Ball players get the yips. Like all, I was a pole vaulter, for instance, in high school and college. Um, and when I was in college, my second year, my coach, who I was very close with died, my high school, uh, one of my high school pole vaulting coaches. And I couldn't get off the ground for was like it, three weeks. Was it by a pole vault? No. Okay. He had thank a heart God. attack and died. Yeah. Okay. Mm. I didn't know if you but, killed him. But going it was really weird. Like, I know. I know. There's some, that, that happens. But it was this really weird thing where all of a sudden after he died, I remember, because pole vaulting, you're always a little bit scared. You know, it's always, it's sketchy. You can really hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden I was, I was contemplating it differently. It's, it's like, it's basically impossible based on physics, at least any physics that I can grasp. Um, and it just was in my head and I had to really fight to overcome it. I think with writing, I've been doing it long enough now that I have a bit more confidence in it, but, but there always is a fear because we don't know where it comes from, right? It's not like other things where if you're, and by the way, I'm not implying that it's remotely more important than these fields, but if you're performing surgery, there's a way that a surgery goes and proceeds in a set of, a set of steps that you need to take in contingencies. With writing, everything's different every moment. Every scene should be different. Every mm-hmm. line of dialogue should be different. Your character moments are different. And we never really know where they come from. You know, so many people ask us as writers, well, where do you get your ideas? And I always go, I don't know. Where do you get your ideas? Like they come from somewhere. But if I woke up all of a sudden and it just doesn't come from this source that needs to send me new things, I'd be grounded. But I think that part of that is learning to trust. I mean, this is the fourth in your series. And is this, and how many books have you written overall? Uh, five. Last one was uh, number one. It was on the you know, New York Times bestseller list for nine weeks and all that stuff. Uh, but it was right. a biography and it was different. And those, shit, I even talked to Dan about this behind the scenes. It, writing a biography is even worse. Um, when it's your own ideas and you can sit in front of your computer and just come up with it on your own, it's easy because nobody's going to look over your shoulder and bother you. If it's somebody else's mm-hmm. life, then you cannot fuck up any details because you're fucking up someone's life yeah, story of, that is out there forever. But think about that mapped on to Greg or any of these guys that have log-running series. One of the issues is this. In the same way that you're talking about somebody else's life, mm-hmm. these characters, Evan Smoke, doesn't belong to Greg Hurwitz anymore. I agree. It belongs, yeah. it belongs to the fans. And that's 100% a, agree. That, that's what would really fuck with me, to be honest. Like I don't Because I'm not afraid of anything dying whatever the fuck we we've done so much crazy shit in our life what i am afraid of is letting down the people that depend on me i think that's common amongst dudes but especially military dudes that's the thing that keeps me up at night and as you get farther and farther into this shit and you have this big consist not just a large fan base but ones that keep coming back to the well all the time that's a great sense of responsibility you must feel to put out like high quality content for these people it's it's really that's really well stated. I mean, there's a big difference. I remember when I was writing, you know, I wrote Wolverine and Punisher and a bunch of characters who I love uh, early on in, I had, I had a little career in comics, which was a lot of fun. And I got to write some of the best ones. And part of that is, is it's very clear when I'm writing Batman, like, or Wolverine, let's say, you know, they've been around, they're going to be around long after I'm dead, mm. right? That's a public trust. And so there's a very fine balance between me needing to bring I'm, I was hired largely to reboot characters or reimagine them. And so I want to bring some of my own perspective to it, but you can't go off the rails. You can't have like Spider-Man kill a busload of nuns. Like there's very <laughs> particular rules. Right. Um, and I remember one of them with Batman that everyone joked about was Batman can never sit down. 
that was during that era I was doing it. There's all these these ways that you have to play with the characters, but also to push and play and engage with the fan base without getting too inside baseball. Um, with Orphan X, one of the things that's I'm really fortunate for my readership, you guys. I have great readers. And the books are changing. And so the readers know that I'm going to bring new things and ideas in. It's not going to be the same thing that resets over and over again. And so what's really been good is I can kind of push myself towards new boundaries, which I write about with the characters. And I have an audience that's self-selected to go with me. You know, a lot of series, you can pick up any one of them, and it's a lot like the others. With my series, every book resets. The, you can have a jumping on point with any one of the books, and I'll catch you up. But the nature of what they're dealing with is is has been shifting a lot, and the readers are willing to go with it. And so that's been really cool. And the thing that I realize is I can't think too much about the reception when I'm first writing it. I have to think about what feels the most authentic to me, what's lighting me up the most with meaning, and then that can get conveyed conveyed and brought forward with the readers. Um, but yeah, you know, it's look the responsibility of writing to an established readership is a huge blessing. It's just a huge blessing, you know, to know that that's there. And the other thing I'll say is, you know, you mentioned you're on your fifth book and your mentor told you about that. Keep in mind that you, you're going to be establishing, you have a habit now and you have a ritual now. And that habit and ritual when you write is going to really serve you well. So I think you can start to worry a little bit less about just having no inspiration and being stuck. Because, you know, one of the things I go back to uh, sports metaphors a lot, as you guys probably can glean. And one of the things I realized with athletes is, you know, when I was training, there's a lot of similarity between being an athlete and being a writer. Because when you're training, when I was training in college, you know, there's a million things that are more important than me training day 37 out of 365 to get to like the heptagonal championships at the end of the year. But every day you have to carve that time out. You have to be a bit selfish with it. And you put in your effort to raise your baseline. And so if you get a guy who's a triple A baseball player having the best day of his life, he could play in the majors. But what differentiates someone who's a professional isn't just how great they are when they're great, but on their worst day, they've brought up the bottom of their game also. So let's say you're, you know, Barry Bonds and you're not seeing the ball that day, which happened like never, it still is going to be the base running. It's still going to be the fielding. It's still going to be all the leadership things. There's all these ways that you can still function when you're not feeling good that both the top of your game stretches and the bottom of your game comes up. And so five books in by now, that ritual is pounding in, raising your floor, I think, so that even if you hit a streak that you're less than inspired, you're going to be productive. You can rely on your ritual and your muscle memory that you're going to put something on the page, even if it feels like dog shit, that you can make better and make better, and you're going to still make headway. Oh, Greg, I'll stop you there. It's, it's not a lack of confidence or inspiration or any of that shit. Um, it's just simply time for me. I know I'm one of the best comedically and like I for real and I don't have a problem with it like uh, harnessing creativity in my opinion and, and I learned, I said this years ago on the show uh, watching a Lil Wayne documentary if you're one of the best at your craft you should be able to harness that creativity and do whatever the fuck you want and I believe I can do that it's just mm-hmm. time at this point this show is uh, massive that we're on drinking bros the, the hearty F seltzer is taken off it is massive it is simply time at this point it is not creativity or anything else uh, now, to go back to, to what you said earlier about what we owe the audience, here's what I did, and I don't know if you've ever done this, is I looked at all the DMs, the emails, the messages, whatever the fuck you want to call it, tweets and everything else. 
since this was the last one, I wrote the last chapter first. So the last chapter was done, and I gave the audience what they wanted because exactly what you said. I'm as grateful to them uh, for making all of this shit happen and creating all of this foundation and all the other fun stuff that's popped out of all of these books that I feel like I owe it to them to give them the satisfactory ending that they want because without them, I don't get past one. I don't, I don't get past yeah. book one to even move on. So the last chapter was done first in that book. It's the end. Is that, that hard th- for you no, to write to it? Not at all. And the the, really? the fan base, because of of what they had hoped the ending was, I, that was the first one I wrote. So that way, they're all getting what they want at the end of the day. Even audiobook wise, I can tell you the sound effects and everything that's going to happen for the last three to four minutes of that thing uh, to mm. match up with everything they want. So artistically they can hear it uh and and visually see it in their mind as they're listening to in their cars or whatever else um because i realize the importance of audiobooks along with the words and the characters um i think when it really stuck for me was spotify i don't know if you Mm. got this but uh spotify just started doing audiobooks on on spotify uh it just happens i don't know maybe six eight months ago something like that uh i got hit up by them and they picked a hundred originally to start with one of my books was one of them. It was the first in this series. And I was like, oh, shit. That introduced a whole new audience to it mm. because we read it with actors and all this other stuff, myself included, my wife and everybody else. And uh, because of that audiobook, it took off with everything else. Therefore, I want to get the audiobook right as well as the, the you know, final chapter with what the fans want and everything else. It's a completely unique situation that I realize nobody else is going through. My problem is simply time at this point, but I'm curious, have you ever started like that and written the end of one of these books and been like, all right, I know how I want this to end. I know what the fans are expecting here and they, what they hope this will end in. Have you ever done that personally? No, I've never started at the end. I mean, the only time I write ahead is if I'm writing ahead and then I re- like, let's say I get into the second act and it's just boggy and I realize, shit, I have first act problems or there's not enough of a, of a ticking clock or the suspense is not working. Then I'll go back and write to fill in. But I, I generally don't write out of order. I have to kind of like move my way through. And a lot of times the ending changes by the time I get there based on what I've discovered through the course of writing the book. So it's a bit of a different process. I mean, everyone's got a different approach. Yeah, and uh, we had Mike Posner on the show the other day, and I asked Mike about it uh, on the show. You know, nominated for multiple Grammys, biggest songs in the world, blah blah blah, right? And uh, we, he he'd worked with Lil Wayne. And we were talking about that documentary, and that's where I, I had literally learned that from. Was uh, he was recording in a hotel room at two o'clock in the afternoon in Germany, and it was uh, "No One on the Corner Has Swagger Like Us." That song. Um, he was one of four guys in that song and he's in this hotel room recording it during this documentary at 2 PM and they knock in on the door and they're like, you got to do this interview at two 30. And he was like, cool, man, just let me finish this. And then he knocked it out and he was like, oh shit, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, I didn't know you were recording. And, uh, he goes, uh, you know, I apologize, but we, we do need you for this interview. And he's like, it's fine. I'm the greatest rapper in the world. I can do these fucking verses any second of the day, anytime, anywhere. It doesn't really matter where it is. So we're all good. It just happens to be that it's due now, and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm in Germany, so I don't give a shit. He had a towel, a hotel towel, wrapped over his head in this Shure 7B microphone, recording it, and Sports Center was on in the background. There was a bottle of lean. He was smoking weed the entire time, and he didn't miss. It. What, what you heard was what was in that documentary, 
and it's still mm. one of the most iconic verses in a rap song, and he was correct, and that's what led me to that mentality for later on down yeah. the road. So, you know, I have a story like that. That's it's so great when you can access and tap in, tap out. And I know what you mean about time. Like if if you're if my time's distracted, it sometimes is harder to just jump onto the galloping horse right away. But that's the skill we're working on is to just switch horses, kind of, mm-hmm. and go from one thing to another. But very early in my career. I was a kid. I got really lucky. I got published young. I think I sold my first book. I was 22. And I was at an event and James Patterson had flown out for it. It was on the West Coast. Um, and I came up to him. He'd been very generous. He's a very generous guy. And he had blurbed, um, he blurbed my book. And I went up and introduced myself. And I said, oh, did you get writing done on the plane on the way out? And he goes, yeah, of course. Don't you write on the plane? I said, oh, no, I need my desk and I need my thesaurus and I need the room like this and I need the sound soother. I need all the stuff so that I can write. And he looked at me and kind of smirked good naturedly. And he goes, learn. (laughs) And I was like, all right, man, if I'm going to have this career and if James Patterson's telling me to figure out how to write. And so basically, then I started to push out of my comfort zone. And, you know, by a couple of years later, literally my wife would be driving a carpool for a field trip for my kids and I'd be in the passenger seat like writing so I could put it down and and go be on the field trip with kids like screaming in the back. I just expanded it out. I can write on planes. I can write in cars. I can write anywhere, but I needed somebody, you know, Harlan Coben has a funny line that he's used where he goes, plumbers don't get to get up in the morning and just go, Oh, I don't feel like plumbing today. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's, it is a job. It is a job. And part of that is, is you, you get your ass ready for it. It's like the baseball metaphor. You do whatever ritual you need. You get yourself ready and in the right place and you, and you keep doing it. And the more you keep doing it, the stronger you build that muscle, the more you can keep doing it. So that's something I had to learn. Yeah, I, it was something that's been instilled in me. So I, luckily I didn't have that, but like, I, I know what you're talking about where it's just like, Hey dude, uh, I think the first one I wrote, I rented out the office next to me and some of my production company to a CPA, um, who's mm-hmm. loud as shit. And I, I just heard him on the fucking phone screaming at people all day long and, uh, you know, super manic and everything else. And I was like, great. If I can write a first novel next to that motherfucker every day, I can do anything in this world. Um, so yeah. Uh, and then Dan's always big on trying to delegate responsibilities to other people. So you're good. at uh, your core talents. Yeah. That's like the, that's the key for startups is to work yourself out of your own competence in a job. Like I want this company to be, uh, and we're going through it now with the, with the booze company with Hardy F. I want to, I want the company to be successful enough that I need to go hire a marketing person or a distributor, uh, uh, interfacing people. We have a or, guy in here today. Or CFO. Uh, we're having these meetings right now. Yeah. Is, right. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. You, you just got to do it. You that's cool. Yeah. I think it's important. You know, one of the things I think about a lot, you know, if, if we can get there, I think when you're starting out with any new venture, entrepreneurism, new job, creative venture, you have to do everything yourself, right. In a way, because you have to learn it and you have all those hats. And then if you, if you get to a level of success, I mean, I think one of the, one of the rules I always have in the back of my head is, Try not to do anything that anyone else but you can do. Like if anyone else can do the job, then see if you can get them to do it or hire them to do it or figure it out so that more and more of, of the time that I spend is on things that only I can do. Right. And it's, that's always a kind of good measure to think like, ah, am I wasting too much time doing something else that I should delegate? 
Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like you guys are there. I mean, you guys have a bunch of ventures that are roaring around. Mm. So it's going to take some doing to figure out like where exactly you need your unique focus put. Yeah. Well, we, I went through it before with black rifle coffee too. Like I was the VP of marketing over there and we got to a point mm. where it was like kind of flattering that I was in that position because it was doing so well. And I'm like, but I, it, we, we very quickly realized like, Hey, we need to hire some real people to do this because yeah. we're a bunch of fucking knucklehead fucking shooters we're just we've we've been fortunate so far that no one's exposed us for the retards we are you know what i mean yeah and it's able to grow and expand and uh and all that stuff but uh good good problems to have in a sense Uh, i did promise my wife though i was like look i this after this last book is out i'm gonna take five years off of that and then just concentrate on just podcasts uh and the seltzer company and everything else all of it just kind of happens oddly at the same time it wasn't on purpose or intentional um and you know sometimes success kind of breeds that and in, in other things that you're forced into uh but with you uh the book is out february 13th correct the new one that's right um, lone wolf and lone wolf and, and it's it- different than any of in my opinion it's different than any of the other books so far like it's it there evan the main character Evan Smoke is dealing way more with human day to day human bullshit in this one than he ever has before. And Frank, not no no spoilers or anything, but it lands on or it leaves on a bigger cliffhanger than even the book that led into him killing the president of the United States did. Right? It's the biggest cliffhanger of the series, in my opinion. Okay. Look, looking forward to it. Uh, it's available everywhere. February thirteenth. Get it for Valentine's Day. All right. It's a nice little Valentine's Day gift. Grab some lube from AdamandEve.com and then grab uh, the new the new book from Greg. Yeah. Why not? Well, you want to have both. Are you okay both. with that? You, you want to have, have both, both yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You never. I don't want to kink shame, Greg. I don't know who does what to your book. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Look, I don't care. People always ask if I prefer if they have audio or you know or ebook, and I say I, you know I don't care if people snort it or shoot it or read it. Like yeah. I'm a I'm a storyteller, and I don't care what the distribution uh, method is. I like that your only metaphor for it was dr- and drug use, though. That's- drug use, yeah. <laughs> Mine was somebody cut a hole in it and fucked it like a glory hole, and I was I was amped about yeah, that. I well, was that like, happens. awesome. Yeah. Send me the video. I was just video. trying to backpedal a little bit, a little more family-friendly. You know? uh, uh, sure, yeah, we're not yeah, a family-friendly yeah, yeah, show shoot, over here. Shooting right? heroin and sorting cocaine are family-friendly. Hey, you, <laughs> you know what's a lot more family-friendly is the, the Drunken Bros podcast. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Actually, yeah. We, need, we, need, we need to get that logo made. Or when people Next come time on. we should do a speakeasy vibe. We'll do it at night. Uh, That's a good idea. Bourbon, actually, yeah. And we'll do a, a special edition of Drunken Bros. Well, oh, actually, that'd be great. I know, I know, I know a spot down there's here. There's a really good, um, uh, what's it called? In speakeasy? downtown Austin? Yeah. Um, so there's a, there was a, there's a spot in downtown Austin. I, I don't know, know if you've is. ever been to Austin, Texas. Yeah. Uh, but it was an old Jack Shack. Oh, it's called Here Nor There. Yes. That's the name yes. of the place. Yeah. yeah. So it was an old Jack Shack. And you, you go in and get jacked off in there. Uh, by Asians, and uh, and then they converted it into a bar. This is no lie, but they kept the red light outside. So when the red light's on, the bar is open, but you have to make reservations, and then they'll kind of walk you in over there. Uh, but some people who have been in there, like, I don't know, in 2000, know where the beds were and all that stuff, mm. and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, right, but we cool. know the guys that own that. A couple of British and yep. Irish dudes own that place. We can definitely, if you're in Austin sometime, we can do a show down there for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. We'd dope. love to have Great, you. Man. I'm Austin. I think I'll do Austin next year. This year, the closest I'm going to get is Houston. Mm, Last year, I did Houston, Dallas, and Austin. So I think that the next go around, maybe that's what we'll do. And we're gonna we got to get that logo though. It's going to be Drunken Bros if we do it there, and we should do it live oh, from yeah. there. Absolutely, yeah. we'll we're all, we're all in. 
Yeah, and whenever a publicist doesn't know and they just put it on the calendar, they'll they'll, they'll call us the Drinking Brothers, and it's yeah. like, dude, that 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 logo exists. It's us with a monocle and top hat. It sure does. With from, and there's a G. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's from the 1780s. That's the, that's the classy version of the show we wear. But someone's got someone's got to clean you guys up. I mean, it's not going to happen. dude. No, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen here. Uh, last time we were on the show, you gave out Drinking Bro of the Week, so I'm going to give it out myself here. Uh, Ryan Mills actually uh, came in, Drinking Bro listener. Helped us out with some technical stuff on uh, on Hard AF Seltzer today. I'm going to give you the drinking bro of the week today. Thank you for driving in from Dallas. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, a lovely lunch today. And uh, went over a lot of details of the company and everything else. And uh, unbelievably grateful for that. Thank you for your time today. Greg, thank you for your time today. Everybody out there, please go and buy Greg's new book. It is out on February 13th, 2024. Amazon's the easiest, let's face it. They'll ju- it'll just show up at your door. Even if you pre-order it, shit, it'll show up on that goddamn morning. Are you doing uh, signed copies over your through your website or anything like that for pre-sale? Yeah, I'm going to be on tour. Uh, the, and so, yeah, I got that's on my website. It's, it's gregherwitz.net with the extra uh, aggravating G on the end of my name because um, my parents did that just to ensure my name would be misspelled the rest of my life. <laughs> But I got a bunch of stops. I'm going to be at Diesel Books in LA. I'm Murder by the Book in Houston. Mm. Poison Pen in Scottsdale. Uh, and you can call any of them if you want to sign personalized copy, and they all ship. Sweet. Perfect. Yeah, the third G is silent, Greg. Uh, so just That's know right. there's three of them in the first name. It's sneaky, man. Greg, I know. Greg, You're one of our favorites, dude. Thanks for being here. I'm sure we'll see you next year for the 10th the one. You don't stop. You're a machine, my man. I'm jealous right now. I'm jealous. It's always fun talking to you boys. Thank yeah. you for having me on. You too, buddy. You as well. Uh, for D'Anthony D'Anthony Holloway, I'm Ross Patterson. This is the Drinking Bros Podcast. Good night, everyone.